you have a Bible with you this morning, why don't you go ahead and find Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. Matthew 14, 22. We're going to be looking at a familiar passage of Scripture for those of us that have been in church for a while. And it's the story where the disciples are uh, out on the sea, and there's a storm that comes up, and Jesus approaches them walking on water. But to kind of set the tone for you this morning, I want you just to think with me for a few moments, maybe from the perspective of the disciples. It was a dark and stormy night. The sea was angry. The battering waves are punching against them, against them bruising their very souls. Like the rolling waves, fear, doubt, disbelief, anxiety are, all, are their only companions. As far as they could see, there is no end, no light, no hope. And in the midst of their storm, they're left wondering, where are you, God? Have you ever felt like that? That the problems of life just roll over you wave after wave after wave of problems and struggles, suffering and pain, threatening to take you under? You ever felt like that? See, you're not alone. It has been said that we are either coming out of a storm, we're in the middle of a storm, or about to enter a storm in this life. In this life, we will have troubles, Jesus said. But take heart, I have overcome the world. See, we're not alone. The disciples at this point in their journey are in a symbolic storm that represents a lot of turmoil that's been going on in their life because they're about halfway into their journey with Jesus that started off with this incredible offer of grace that God would choose them, the ones that the religious system had overlooked, that God Almighty himself would choose them to represent him and learn from him. But they're finding that in their ministry that there's a price to it, that there have been some some difficulties that have come along the way, that their ministry hasn't always worked out the way that they had hoped and planned. Some cases it split families, maybe split them from their family. In some cases it has caused uh, division within communities like Capernaum blew up. They did not respond positively to the gospel. They've experienced loss and hardship. They have wept. They have grieved. They have been hungry. They have felt displaced. All in the midst of what God was doing, what Jesus was doing in healing and proclaiming this message of God's grace. But here they are in the middle of a storm, in the middle of the night, wondering, where is God? We see this in Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 to 25. Immediately... He, Jesus, made the disciples get into a boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from land, beaten or battered by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. So the setting here is that fourth watch of the night, somewhere between three o'clock in the morning and six o'clock in the morning. Jesus earlier pushed them off into uh, the sea and said, hey, I want you to go to the other side. I'm going to meet you there. Jesus himself is feeling the weight of his ministry and everything that was going on, departed to go pray and reconnect with his heavenly father to recharge his batteries. And he's sending the disciples off into the sea. In the middle of this, the storm comes up and pushes against them. By this time, that Jesus approaches them on the sea, 
they have been rowing against the wind and the waves for about 10 hours. They're emotionally exhausted, spiritually exhausted, physically exhausted. And God walks up to them. So my question is, to us today, is how do we respond to life's storms? We're going to look at the disciples' journey and their five types of responses. The first one I want to look at is fear. We see this in verse 26 and 27. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were afraid, and they said, it is a ghost, and they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Fear's a normal response, right? You're in a small boat, you're being tossed about. If you've ever been on the sea at any point in time and a storm comes up, you understand how terrifying it is. I grew up in Daytona Beach, Florida. When you see those dark clouds rolling in, you get off the water and out of the water. Because you are at the mercy of whatever that storm brings. You cannot predict control in any way, shape, or form. And so fear is a logical response, terror, or phobia. Even if it's unrational at this point, these men are grappling with fear. And notice that it always begins with the word, but. Fear always starts with the word, but. But God has forgotten. You ever felt like that? When the fear comes up in the trials that you're going through, has God forgotten me? But God has forgotten. Somebody tries to encourage you. You're like, but God has forgotten. Maybe some of you, it's like, but God doesn't care. I've been down this road one too many times, problem after problem. God doesn't care anymore. But God has given me what I deserve. Have you ever heard that? You ever said that in your own mind? But God will not see me through. He does that for other people, but not me. See, fear is that breeding ground that happens when we start to question those very identities and existence and truth about who God is. See, the potential threats are real, right? I'm at a point, I'm at the end of myself, this boat could sink, I could go under, I can't control this storm, it's out and beyond me. That is very real. But the perceived outcomes really are real, right? You ever thought the worst? And some of you are like, well, that's just my coping mechanism. If I can create the darkest picture in my mind and it doesn't come true, then I'm going to somehow feel encouraged. How's that working for you? Doesn't work for me. Oftentimes, that kind of cynicism robs us of what God actually wants to do in our midst at that time. So fear isn't necessarily a bad emotion, but where it leads us can be. Here's what I want you to think about. They're in the boat. The storm comes. Jesus walks on water. They think he's a ghost. Fear had gripped their heart so much that it was more conceivable to them that there is yet another problem, another terror, that a ghost would somehow appear, how could it get worse than to think that God himself would show up to save them? Now listen, they have watched Jesus for about a year and a half heal to perform miracle after miracle to raise the dead. And their first thought is, what's the next bad thing coming? 
But notice what happens next. In the middle of their fear, verse 27, it says, But immediately Jesus spoke to them, and he said this, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Listen, Jesus will meet you at your point of fear. He understands that fear is a normal response. It's actually a good response. It keeps us in check. But see, fear can lead us away from God to question God, or fear can lead us to run to God and embrace God. And Jesus, in the middle of that crisis, stands before them and says, Take heart. Don't give up. Don't let fear overwhelm you. It's me. Don't be afraid. So Jesus is making himself available in the midst of our storms. The second response that we see is to fight. And if you've kind of seen that, that struggle come, and you're just going to fight your way through it. You're just going to grin and bear it through it. You see where you see in verse 28 and 29. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. Man, don't you love Peter? He's, he's always a guy that's ready to go first. He's one to, to take charge, to take control. And so that's not an unusual response for Peter. If it's you, call me out there and I'm taking this on. Isn't that kind of a weird question? You're in the middle of a storm. Your boat is at risk of sinking. God is walking on the water, coming to you. It's told you not to be afraid. And you think to ask, if it's you, Lord, ask me to come to you and I'll come. See, wasn't it enough that Jesus was coming to him? Wasn't it enough that Jesus was on his way to rescue? See, Peter has spent his entire ministry, at this point, his relationship with God, struggling with truly being dependent upon God the Father. To really live surrendered that God is in control. Peter was going to be the master of his own journey and take God along for the ride. But we all know that that lesson led him to a crisis of belief not more than about a year later when he's denying Jesus three times where his ability to commit was not enough. See, Peter's saying, hey, God, if this is you, help me to do what you're doing. I want to walk on top of this storm like you're walking on top of this storm. God, you give me what I need to do what you're doing. Would you appreciate, would you even approach God in his grace and say that? God, give me your grace so that I could be holy, so I could do what only you can do. See, the very foundation of Christianity is to lay our lives down at his feet and to trust God to change us and transform us, isn't it? That is the foundation in every experience of our life for the rest of our lives. See, Peter could have asked, hey, Lord, if it's you, call me so I can come walk through this storm with you. Now, that's a statement of dependence. 
see, but so many of us want to fight our way through these, these struggles. But God, God is willing to entertain that idea just for a moment. And he asked us to come because he knows that in that journey, at some point, our fight's not going to be enough. And in our weakness, he'll be right there to reach us. Third response that we see is we forget. Man, don't we forget. We see this in verse 30. So Peter gets out of the boat and he starts walking. But when Peter saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Listen, you know you're in a storm if you see the wind. Right? Listen, again, I grew up in Daytona Beach, Florida. One of the stupidest things I've done in my life is to surf in the middle of a hurricane. All right? Hurricane Andrew come through South Florida. The seas, the, the face, the waves were 15 to 20 feet in Daytona Beach. So that's like from the floor to the ceiling, right? Imagine laying on a surfboard, looking up at a 20-foot wall of ocean coming at you. But you're in a hurricane, so brakes are coming at you from the right, the left, from the front. It's like surfing in a wash machine. And if that's not scary enough, the wind is blowing at 80 miles an hour. And so when those waves come up to crest, the wind's blowing against it, and it's just I mean, it's coming every direction. Rain and water is just misting and flying at your face in every direction. That would be the equivalent of driving through a blizzard, right? You ever driven through a blizzard? It's like you can't see past your your hood. And it's like one minute the snow's going this way, next minute it's going this way, next minute it's coming at you. The wind is just whipping around. You can feel your car shaking. You can't hardly, you don't know if you're on the road anymore because everything's all white. When you see the wind, you know you're in a storm. When you see that diagnosis and that treatment, you know you're in a storm. When you see that bank account run dry, you know you're in a storm. When you see relationships fall apart and the argument after argument after argument, you know you are in a storm. And Peter got out, hearing the Lord's voice saying, come, started to go towards Jesus, whatever the motives were, and started to pay attention to the storm around him. And guess what happened? He began to drown. It began to overwhelm him. He forgot. He forgot who Jesus was. Listen, Peter watched Jesus heal his mother-in-law. Peter watched Jesus raise somebody from the dead. Peter watched Jesus walk on water in the storm. And he forgot who Jesus was. He also forgot what Jesus had done, not just in his own life, but in many lives around him. He he just overlooked all of this miraculous power and all of the blessings that God had done. But most importantly, he forgot who he was to Jesus. How easily we forget. We forget that God 
loves us so much that he knows how many hairs are on our head. He knows the beginning of our days, the end of our days. He knows the words we're going to say before we even think to say them. God knows us, loves us, chooses us. Just as he chose Peter. Knowing how well we would follow God, knowing that none of us are going to be as committed to him as he is to us, and he still loves us. Have you forgotten who you are to Jesus? You were worth the brutality of the cross. You were worth the beard being, being pulled from his, faith, from his face. You were worth being, him being spit upon. You were worth him being punched. You were worth the crown of thorns being crammed on his head and being driven into his scalp with a stick. You were worth having the flesh ripped off of his bones with the cat of nine tails. You were worth being, being stripped naked and hung to die on a cross to breathe your last breath, calling out words of love and affirmation. You were worth it. What's the storm have over that? Don't forget who God is, what he has done, and who you are to him. Truth is, you can either see the storm, or you can see Jesus in the storm, but you can't see both. And so let our prayers be, God, let me see you in the storm. Because he is there. The fourth response that we see in this passage is flight, right? That's where we just check out. Does anyone else find it, find it interesting that up to this point, since we've heard that the disciples cried out in fear, that we've had not heard another peep out of them? It's like the only person that exists now is Peter. And Peter ultimately finds himself in the same place that the disciples found themselves, in fear, being overwhelmed, taken under. Don't you think it's interesting? The disciples, I mean, you can read any other passage of Scripture, and you see details where the disciples grumbled, they murmured, Jesus brings that out. In the midst of everything that's going on, they're questioning, they're complaining, no emotions, no questions, no nothing. It's almost as if they've checked out. Listen, that's where a lot of us, most of us live. The waves keep coming, the problems keep coming, they roll over us, and we just shut down. And it's like, if I don't think about it, maybe it's not there. Right? It's the proverbial atheist question. If there's a loving God, why is there all this evil and suffering in the world? So therefore, there's evil and suffering in the world, there must not be a God. Acting like there is no God because there is suffering and difficulty does not change the reality of storms. That is the most useless question and thought on the face of the earth. Suffering still exists. Asking that question whether there's a God or not doesn't do anybody any good. Doesn't do you any good. The other thing is, is that it doesn't change the fact that people are encountering Jesus in the suffering in storms. Peter was having a real moment. He was at least willing to step out. 
He was at least willing to question. He was at least willing to risk. He just didn't sit in the boat and keep rowing and hope that it goes away. Don't quit. Don't flee. Don't check out. You can't go anywhere. You can't escape it. So take the moment for what it is. Look for the God who is in the middle of the storm and have that moment. Have your moment where you see that God is there ready to meet you where you are. Broken, hurting, frustrated, and empty. God's there. And then the fifth response I want to give you is faith. We see this in verses 31 through 33. Jesus, you know, so Peter cried out. He's thinking, he said, Lord, save me. And then look, here's this word again. Jesus immediately. I love that. Immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him saying, truly, you are the Son of God. See, Lord, save me is a statement of faith. You know, you can't make heads or tails. It's like it starts off with fear and doubt. Peter went through all of those emotions, forgetting, wanting to flee. And he comes to him in faith saying, all right, if, if you are God, I, I, I think I see you here. I think I understand. You know, I'm, I'm going to take a risk. And I'm going to cry out, Lord, save me. There's nothing else left. I am sinking. I'm going under. I have no hope. What do I have to lose? That's faith. And what it is is that faith is the intersection of truth and trust. It's for a moment, it's like Peter flashed back and remembered all of those moments that God moved and interrupted. And, and that, that aha moment that Peter had where he realized at the miraculous catch, right? He'd been fishing all night, caught nothing. Jesus told him to cast his nets on the other side. He did to humor Jesus, maybe even to prove him wrong. And ended up catching more fish than he could bring in by himself. And then he saw in that moment... You're Christ. You're, you're God in the flesh. And maybe as he was sinking, he remembered that moment. But either way, truth and trust came to an intersection, to a merging point, And he cried out, Lord, save me. And guess what? God reached out his arm, grabbed a hold of him. It didn't even say that Peter reached for him. It's like he just cried out and God snatched him and said, you're mine. See, that's the beauty of faith. So many of us are trying to lob up the right words, the right routines to plead our case, to get God to do the very thing that he came to do. And that's to save and keep saving us for all eternity. Faith is the intersection with truth and trust. Intersect. For a moment, he realized God is who he says he is, and God will do what he says he will do. Because see, another picture I want you to see here, and I don't know if Peter caught this or not, but I would be surprised if he didn't. Notice that it says that Jesus reached out, outstretched his arm, 
and saved Peter. That's reminiscent of Exodus 6.6, where God promises to save Israel with an outstretched arm. They celebrated that thought multiple times throughout the year. That verse was tied to just about every religious ceremony that the Jews celebrated throughout their calendar year. There's no doubt that that imagery resonated in Peter's heart. But there's also a connection between faith and worship here, right? Because it said, okay, they got on the boat, the, the wind ceased, and they worshiped him. Now, when we think of worship, we can think of this. And that can be worship. But see, the, the best definition I've heard of worship was by a guy named A.W. Tozer, and this is what he says. Worship is our response, our actions and our emotions. Worship is our actions and emotions in response to who God is and what he has done. Isn't that what faith is based in? It's, faith, it's based in the truth of who God is and what God says he's going to do. That's truth. We trust the truth. Worship is, the, is that intersect where that all comes into play. The response is to who God is and what he has done is to worship, to devote ourselves. Whatever comes out of our life in that moment when we realize that God is who he says he is and God will do what he says he will do. What comes out of our lives in that moment is worship. We come here on Sunday mornings to remind ourselves of who God is and what he has done so that we would worship. See, faith is like, and worship, faith and worship are kind of similar thoughts. They're tied together. You can't really separate the two. One is going to lead to the other. And it's like putting on a life vest in the middle of the storm. It does not change the storm at all. But it completely changes your experience in the storm. That little vest, that little faith, keeps you on top of the waves, doesn't it? It starts to communicate to you, I'm going to survive this. It communicates to you, I am not forgotten. God is right here with me. It begins to embolden our hearts and our minds saying, I am not without hope. And God is here. And God has promised to never leave me or forsake me. And no matter how the storm turns out, I will be with Jesus because I'm his. See, this temporary storm ceased, but the enduring circumstances didn't change. Because think about it. They're worshiping after the wind ceased, but those troubles are still there. Those heavy weights, the challenges of ministry, the cost that they've already paid, the struggles, and, and all of that is still there. But they're different. They're different. And therefore, the experience is different. Oh, you of little faith. Notice he didn't say no faith. Just takes a little. Just enough to say, Lord, save me. And he says, why did you doubt? 
And that's the question I want to throw out to us today. Why do you doubt? Is it fear that God's abandoned you? Is it your need to fight for control? Have you forgotten who Jesus is and what he has done and most importantly, who you are to him? Are you trying to flee into a world and pretend that God doesn't exist? Oh, you have little faith. Can you bring yourself to the point this morning to say a simple prayer? Lord, save me. And he will immediately reach out and grab you. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the power of your word. God, I know right now in my own life the the storms and the struggles and the trials. God, I have tried just about everything other than faith. So God, thank you for the power of your word that calls me back to you and most importantly, Thank you, God, that you are not far from me, regardless of what I think. And Father, I pray for those of us in this room this morning that are struggling and feeling the weight, whether we've caused the storm or whether the storm has found us for no reason. God, I pray that you would give us just enough faith to cry out to you in the midst of the storm, Lord, save me. And God, help us to experience the fact that you will reach out and take hold of us because you love us and we are dear to you. Father, may your truth overcome the lies and the insecurities and the fear that we so easily embrace that we might know you in your saving grace, Father. May we take this time to just reach out to you and cry to you this morning and walk away believing, knowing, that you are God, that you will never leave us or forsake us because we are dearly loved and chosen by you. In your name we pray, amen.